Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts with John Stephenson. John understands the importance of being prepared. Through rain, rocks, and snow, he has seen it all and survived. He has seen major disasters like Mount St. Helens and how vehicles were stopped in the street from the volcanic ash. Earthquakes, too, including the Loma Prieta earthquake, which felt like it wouldn't stop shaking. People were without electricity and could not hardly buy groceries or gasoline. The homeless lit bonfires in the streets. The Bay Bridge and other freeways were broken. God only knows what will be next. Welcome to Preparedness Thoughts by John Stephenson. We invite Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to guide us as we examine how our preparations can be used to preserve the life of ourselves, our family, and others. Perhaps water and food are the most important disaster items. Today, let's have a closer look at water. Everyone needs water daily for our bodies to function properly. Our digestive system and our brain especially need water to function properly. One gallon per person per day is the amount recommended for both drinking and cooking. Of course, people have survived on less water, but if you want to maintain good health, one gallon per person per day is what you want to have. And by the way, you will also need to have water for bathing and flushing the toilet. There are several disaster scenarios which could make our tap water stop. Perhaps the easiest to consider is a large earthquake along a long fault line. This could break countless water lines. If this were to happen, do you think your home area would be among the first lines to be repaired? Probably not, and in such a case, you could easily be without water service for a month. And the roads might not be passable either, for days or possibly weeks. So you won't be going to the grocery store to get your water there. Where would you get your water in case of such a disaster? Your water company could distribute gallon water jugs from a central location, but you still have to carry it home. Or maybe there would be a water truck somewhere, but you would still need containers to put the water in, and you still need to take it into your house. And if the situation was really desperate, you might have to get your water from a nearby river. I know these things are very unlikely situations, but I also know that there are intelligent people who consider how to solve major disaster problems just like this. There are different ways to treat water to make it safe to drink. Boiling is a good option. Three minutes will do it. Or you can add eight drops of water of regular unscented bleach to a gallon of water. Or if the water is cloudy, double that to 16 drops per gallon. And after you add the bleach, you let the water stand for 30 minutes before drinking. Backpacking water filters are another good option. And so is the ultraviolet light SteriPen. One last method is to have the water in direct sunlight for six to eight hours. The ultraviolet light from the sunlight slowly cleans up the water. Now, after all this talk about getting your water safe to drink, you can see how very much easier it is if you just store water. You can store your water, the tap water, for years if it's kept out of direct sunlight. Uh, one little other thing is that in case you didn't properly treat your water, you will want to have plenty of antidiarrheal tablets on hand. Okay, lastly, consider storing your water in food-grade plastic 55-gallon drums. Look around. You'll be able to find some used but clean, no doubt. This is Episode 16. Start your preparations now before there's an urgent need and what you want is hard to find. Remember to give thanks to God for the blessings that you do have. Your letters with questions or donations are important. John Stephenson, P.O. Box 7222, Chico, California, 
888-529-9527. Email prepareforgod at usa.com or call 628-7222. Thank you for listening to Preparedness Thoughts on KKXX. My Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Settle up your Welcome to Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is the program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness, where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. For God has called us to stand for truth, and having done all to stand, we will stand. It's time to fight the good fight of faith to preserve our country, our families, fortunes, and sacred honor to protect our property, our schools, and yes, maybe even salvage some of our churches. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Now, here is your host of Red Sky Radio, Rob Walter. Well, hello, America, and welcome to the world to Red Sky Radio, the Red Sky Radio Ranch, where we ride hard for the brand of Jesus Christ. God bless you all today. I have a lot to fit in today, but I need to let you know you're probably thinking, gosh, Rob, you sound a little bit subdued today. Well, once again, I'm traveling. Once again, it's 4.30 in the morning. Once again, I have people on the other side of the wall from me in my hotel, and so I'm sort of toning it down. Not enough to prevent them from waking up, but maybe just enough to not annoy them. And maybe they hear the program while they're at it. I don't know how that works, but let's get rolling. I am going to have a bit of a teaching in the second half of this program because it has been made clear to me that that I can't deal with just problems. I have to provide some solutions in this program. Now, this is a Watchman on the Wall program, so most of this is and always will pertain to issuing warnings of what's coming. But what is coming is so awful. It honestly is. It is so divisive. It will be so destructive that there's a necessity to also begin to provide and include a prescription, a remedy, and how will we deal with the situations that we confront you know, Jesus told the disciples, he warned them what's going to happen in the later times. And why? So that when those bad times hit, they wouldn't be shocked, so that their faith wouldn't unravel, so that they wouldn't just spiritually disintegrate. They could say, oh, that's right. Our Lord told us this would happen. And when you are warned, then the happening of that event is far less traumatic than it might otherwise be. It still could, it can be very uh, alarming and shocking and to some devastating, although there's a time that we begin to claim, and this is my good news portion of the program, we begin to claim Psalm 91, that it says there that there shall be no evil that will befall us, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. And then a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. With thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. I mean, isn't this an incredible promise to launch with that not only will certain things not come near us, but that we will also be have the opportunity to see what befalls the wicked. Not that we're going to be on the sidelines cheering, but it's, uh, well, we're going to get to it later in the program. But let me get going on it here because this is a very important time. It's a time where we do have a window to prepare, yes, a bit physically. 
Yes, a bit uh, storing up a few things, but I'm not talking about prepping primarily, prepping for the future, but I'm talking about prepping in all ways, spiritually as well as physically. This is very, very important. And I don't want to focus exclusively on bad news. I try not to. I don't have a problem primarily focusing on what we what I see coming as a watchman on the wall because most other programs don't. Now if every program were like this program, we would be all would we would all be miserable. Others offer some hope and confidence and assurance because we do win in the end. We are going to rule and reign and you are going to hear some of these Encouraging words today from Scripture later on because it deals with our present time. Our present time. Not just off in the sweet by and by, but in our present time. But so let's get rolling here. But I do have a piece of odd good news in the natural, in the secular. The state of California, it's not good news for California, it's bad news for California as it usually is. They have added the 10th state. There are now 10 states in the United States that California has directed that no one can travel to on the public dime. You can't go there and they deal with homosexual adoption because South Carolina passed a bill prohibiting homosexual adoption. And Californians are just beside themselves with rage emanating from extreme guilt and conviction over their sin, but they don't know how to deal with their sin because there's the word of God's not let in in any schools out there. This is a tenth state. Now, I, I'm going to raise a couple of points here, and you say, well, why would this be good news? Because there are ten, these ten states, I'm not going to go through them, but they're, they're kind of ones you would expect besides South Carolina, Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Alabama, I think Tennessee. I don't know if Tennessee's in there, but anyway, pretty much throughout the South, the, the Bible Belt. So why is this good news? Because I don't want Californians leaving California and spending their blood money in other states, bringing the ooze and the filth of what drives Sacramento to other states. I want them to stay in California. In fact, so much so, I have to ask this question. Why don't we boycott California? California is riding as high and mighty mule saying, well, we aren't going to spend our money, we're not subsidizing any state that's discriminatory against queers that want to adopt and then ultimately molest and sodomize young little children. Well, hey, that's what happens more often than you can imagine. The paper has not the guts to print it, and I don't want to go off in that direction and give you the documentation, which is very significant about the extent there were 750 to 800 percent more child abuse among homosexuals than heterosexuals. And guess what? When it's, I'm not supporting heterosexual child abuse, but when there's 800 percent more done by homosexuals where they're sodomizing little kids, man, you're, you're, those, are fighting, those are fighting words when you go ahead and say that. So why don't we boycott that state? Why don't we just quit going there for vacations? Why do other states go there? Skip that state. And what a pack of hypocrites, because it seems like... So, okay, so they announced this boycott of South Carolina. But amazingly, somehow, they keep finding money to send their sports teams to these other states. Their sports teams. They get funded somehow. This is a pack and bag of hypocrites. These losers are in Sacramento. I just don't know why we. I, I just I would boycott them. Hey, forget it. You 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 just suck your own swamp water out there. Well, anyway, I think it's good news that to the extent that you do not have public officials, legislators, California bureaucrats, ten states now they can't get to by their own curtailment by their own self-imposed boycott of those other states, you are keeping that evil, pernicious influence of California 
out of those 10 states. And to me, that's great news. Well, I don't want to do this every week. I could do this almost every week where there's an illegal alien that kills a law-abiding citizen. And the the last one here is now an illegal alien that killed a sheriff's deputy in Washington State here last week uh, by the name of Ryan Thompson. Ryan, who, by the way, has a wife and three kids, this illegal. I I don't need to go into the details. It's the same old, same old all the time. But I want to quote the author of the article, Mr. Josh uh, Hammer, because he put something in one sentence that so concisely sums up what's going on. He said, The tragedy of crimes committed by illegal aliens is this, that every single crime is, by definition, preventable. Isn't that amazing? I mean, one sentence, he sums it up. Every single crime committed by an illegal alien is preventable. And so in places like California, talk about wanting to reduce crime, and they're after people with guns, law-abiding citizens with guns. Why don't you just close the stinking borders, California, and watch your crime rate plummet? I mean, it is, it's just incredible the hypocrisy that marks that state and the other states that are for all for uh, sanctuary cities and all that crapola. Listen to this. This is according to the Department of Homeland Security, <clears throat> covering just Texas, just Texas, not the other states on the border, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. So that 200 between... January or June 1st of 2011 and February 28th of 2019. So in other words, about seven and a half years, there have been 282,000, 282,000 in seven and a half years in just Texas that have been booked into local Texas jails. 191,000 of those were illegal. You say, oh, okay, so that's the real number. Well, look, apparently though, there's a huge amount of crime even from those that are here legally involved in an enormous amount of crime. Listen to these figures. This is a seven-and-a-half-year period in one state coming from 282,000 criminal illegals. 471,000 criminal offenses in total. Okay, because you're committing because you're the same people committing multiple crimes. Out of the four hundred and seventy one thousand crimes committed by the one hundred and ninety one thousand illegals, do the math, that's about two and a half two and a half crimes per illegal. We have one thousand and twenty six homicides, fifty three thousand and fifty six assault charges. 15,055 burglary charges, 60,799 drug charges, 60,799 in one state, 709 kidnappings, 29,000 theft charges, and then you get into robbery, sexual assault, of which there's 5,674 sexual assault charges, 6,948 sexual offense charges, and, of course, 6,829 weapons charges. Look at all the crimes. If we, if we controlled the border, every crime that, this, that Josh Newman here has mentioned is indeed preventable. You keep them out, they can't commit that crime. Look at the enormous amount of money and resources we waste because we have the Democrat weenies who fight security, border security. I was asked a question the other day. How do you get Democrats to support border control? It was a great question. And the Lord gave me the answer. That would the only way you could get Democrats to support border patrol and control is if you showed them that the great majority of the illegals would vote Republican. 
Now, I'm not saying that that's the case or that it ever could be the case or it wanted to be the case. Regardless of how they vote, they need to stay out. They need to be kept out with these crime stats. But that's the only way that a Democrat would ever support border control is if you could prove to them that the bulk of them would eventually vote Republican. Then all of a sudden you'd have Nancy Pelosi and her suitcase full of Botox down on the on the on the border with and and Chucky Baby Schumer and Cammy Baby Harris and all of those yin yangs would down there be be demanding border security because it's polluting and distorting our political system. Yep, that's what you would get. Well, okay, point number one, we don't have control over borders. It'll be disaster. This country will end. This country will end just from a lack of border control. We cannot continue on the same plan and survive as a nation. Look at Europe. My goodness sakes. Okay, point number two here, dealing with the inevitable breakup of this country is the incredible, unbelievable intolerance of the left. Now, I've given you lots of examples. I don't want to give you any more than just one. Let me see. Do I have a timer? Let's just do one here today. Cornell University. I've never blasted Cornell University. I couldn't give a rip about Cornell. I'm sure it's overpriced and underperforms. Excuse me. However, there was a black woman by the name of Janique Stewart says she's African-American. I don't know if she's African-American. I don't know if she's American. I don't know if she's black. And she's a pro-life speaker. Strongly, Janique is very strongly pro-life. And she works for the Life Training Institute. Well, it so happens that Janique has spoken very openly, outwardly, about the uh, consequences of and the sin of homosexual relationships and marriage. Now, mind you, she was not at Cornell invited to this conference to speak on that issue. It had nothing to do with queer marriage, not one bit. However, they disinvited her when they found out that that was her perspective. They, she got the left foot of fellowship at an institution that supposedly is open for public discourse of varying uh, positions on a multitude of topics. She gets the boot. They withdrew her the invitation upon finding out that she was an outspoken defender of marriage between one man and one woman. You go, girl. I mean, Janique, have at it. This is not. This is not a setback. God will turn your rejection by this loser university into a promotion. I can guarantee you that, because that's the way God works. And, I, and you also understand a little better why Donald Trump has gone to had to go to what re, seems like a ridiculous extreme to have an executive order for free speech on U.S. campuses. I mean, that sh- why would you need an order to have free speech? Because the universities don't allow it. They're just this little conclave of of leftist lemmings that just they just sit there getting their wagons in a circle and take shots at any conservative that might be part of the incoming because it might destroy their little make-believe world of of snowflake-itis, which most of the students coming out of there have. And this article will prove it. But I want to point out the utter and unbelievable hypocrisy. There was a time, meaning the great, great majority of the United States history, where queer marriage has been illegal, homosexual adoption illegal. Did the conservative campuses, or when the law prevented that, forbid that, was there ever any indication or action by any campus that would stop the left from speaking, that would spot stop the LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ crowd from speaking? Because it was unsavory, it was abominable, as God would call it. So I call it abominable because God calls it abominable. Were they ever stopped? Were they ever prohibited? But now that they have this complete stranglehold on what is loosely so-called higher education, 
they apparently believe that now that they hold the, the upper ground known as control, that they can keep out anybody that disagrees with them. This is the utter and shameful hypocrisy of the left. Folks, this cannot continue any more than illegal immigration can, can continue with a, without a great divide in this country otherwise known as civil war. So she said that, um, Janique said that she was told that the concern by the student was that many of the students would be offended by my beliefs and would not be able to focus or listen to my speech. End quote. Well, how about the conservatives that can't focus and listen to queer this, queer that, abortion, slaughter this, kill this unborn? How about how about those? I mean, why why are the... Can't there be conservative snowflakes? Can't there be conservatives that just sort of melt when anybody talks about queerdom and all of its debauchery and slaughtering the unborn in the womb? Can't they just take up the same mantle? No, because conservatives are actually people who think. Conservatives are people who actually have guts. Conservatives are people who actually have morals. And for the most part, with some notable failures, for the most part, they can withstand the withering attack of the left. They just become better warriors. Every fight you survive makes you a better warrior. And so Cornell, in the effort to uh, shield the little snowflakes from the sun that might actually melt in, in, in a, a quick episode of extreme educational melodrama, their view of the world, and reorient them towards something that actually is biblical and moral and might actually prepare them for the future, instead of being distinctly prepared, all of that is, of course, forbidden at Cornell and pretty much most other universities. So to conclude this topic, Robert George, professor of jurisprudence at Princeton University, said, quote, So here we are, evidently no Catholic, evangelical Protestant, Eastern Orthodox Christian, Orthodox Jew, or Muslim, who believes what his or her faith tradition teaches about sex and marriage is permitted to engage in debate at Cornell. So among the most appalling practices of the contemporary left, this is worth writing down. It's 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 the other one-liner that uh, sums a lot up. Among the most appalling practices of the contemporary left is its attempt to secure its position on sex and marriage by stigmatizing anyone who dissents from it as a bigot or a hater, end quote. That's exactly what they do. But the point is, as I was sharing with some other people the other day, look, somebody calls you a hater, take it up. You say, well, that's partly true. I hate sodomy. I hate five-year-olds, boys, being sodomized by grown men and turning those five-year-olds, five- and seven-year-olds into twice the homosexual that the perpetrator was. Yeah, I hate that abuse. I hate teaching uh, six, seven, eight, nine, I'll tell you, 17, 18-year-olds that they can choose their sex. Yeah, I hate that which God hates. And by the way, hate speech is not what necessarily comes from me. You provide, I'll provide you the truth. You can provide the hate. You hate my speech because you hate the truth. I'm going to read you something here. Um, I, I prepared this. Uh, some time ago, dealing with the issue of homosexual marriage and homosexual behavior and sin, as sin in general. And this was distributed. I did it when I pastored a church in California. We lost parishioners because I dared to take a bold stand on the issue. Some stuck with us and became bolder. Some, listening to this program, Asked for copies of it. Some that got copies of this turned this copy into a distribution piece in places like the Las Vegas Gay Pride Parade, where there were hundreds that were distributed. So I want to read you what I prepared. Nothing has changed since this was prepared six or seven years ago. It's ever more applicable today. And it's actually addressed to the church. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Leviticus 20, verse 13, that's only one verse, there are many. 
For homosexual behavior has eternal consequences. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But it goes on in that passage where the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul says, but such were past tense, some of you. In other words, you were fornicators, you're not now. You were idolaters, you're not now. You were adulterers, you're not now. You were homosexuals, you're not now. You used to be sodomites, you're not now. You used to be thieves and covetous, but not now. You used to be drunkards, not now. You used to be revilers and extortioners, and you're not now. So this leads to the next obvious question. So is homosexuality and homosexual behavior genetic? The answer is obviously no. Now, beside every attempt to prove so being a massive failure, and the queer left doesn't need this lie anymore because this camel's nose is far more into the tent, his rear end is in the tent now. The scripture I just read from 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 proves that it's not genetic. Because you would not have a behavior that is not genetic combined in a list of uh, let me back up. You would not have behaviors that were genetic combined with a list of behaviors that are not genetic and then having the Holy Spirit say, but such were some of you. They either have to all be genetic or none of them be genetic. Now, if it were genetic for homosexuality and sodomy, then so would fornication be a genetic, idolatry, adultery, covetousness, they all would have genetic origins. But the scripture says, but such were some of you. Past tense. It says in Jeremiah 13, it says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or can the leopard change its spots? Now that's genetic. The other is behavior. Now there are thousands of former homosexuals who will testify to this truth. So who's right, man or the Bible? Well, we know the answer to that. So then the next question becomes, so is homosexual behavior worse than other sins? I hear this all the time. Why do you bang on this on this topic when we have all these other sins? Well, I'm going to say that the answer to that question is no and yes. No in the sense that, as it says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All have sinned. And the one who violates even one part of God's law is guilty of violating all of God's laws. That's James 2, verse 10. So in that sense, no, it is not worse. Not worse at all. I mean, there are many, many bad sins. Some have more obvious consequences than others. But there is a distinct way by which this particular sin is worse than all the others. I'm sorry, you know what? We're just coming up to a break. You're going to have to wait Uh, Until we get back here with Rob Walter and Red Sky Radio, don't go away. You need to hear this. It's not very comfortable to hear these days. It's not very comfortable to speak. Uh, But let God be true and every man a liar. We'll be right back. Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter is a listener-supported program. Please know that 100% of your contribution goes to pay for airtime so that as many people as possible are able to hear that the Word of God has answers to every meaningful problem and issue in life. No one gets paid a salary at Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter, but in response to your support, we pledge to bring you the most timely and critical information you need to help make informed decisions in this age of media bias and a growing hostility to all things Christian. Your partnership makes you one of the watchmen on the wall with us, as described in the book of Ezekiel. Please send your support to Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. I think I'm going to Catman do. That's really, really 
Uh, we're back. Rob Walter with Red Sky Radio. Gosh, I love that song. Um, I just, you know, I've heard it so much, and I just don't tire up. Sorry if you do. Uh, if you do, you can write me info at Rob Walter. Uh, I'm sorry, info at redskyradio.net. But it's going to take a lot of you to change that one. Okay, going back to our topic here as it relates to the issue of homosexuality, and we were talking about, is that behavior worse than other sins? And I said no, in the sense that it, it says that all have sinned, according to Romans 3.23, and one who violates even one part of the law is guilty of violating all of God's laws, James 2, verse 10. But it is worse than others in certain respects. It is distinctly worse. Now, I want to break this into two points. One, sort of secular reasoning the application of intelligence, which rarely gets applied in this area because people just uh, they, they work with emotions and they're trying desperately to cover up their sin, justify their sin, and they think that by way of intimidation and volume, they can produce substance. That's what the left does, and that's why I call them the gay Gestapo. But from a secular intellectual standpoint, a matter of reasoning, consider all of the behaviors not the behaviors, consider all the statuses, if you will, that are covered by, what is it, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act? I may, I may be wrong in that title. but So if you are black, you are Hispanic, you are white, is it your behavior that makes you black, white, Hispanic, Asian, is it your behavior that makes you a woman versus a man? Is it your behavior that makes you uh, Dutch versus um, Russian for national origin? You see, everything that's protected, is it your behavior that makes you disabled? Well, I understand you can't do certain things, but that but that's not a behavioral-based, not behavior. This ability to do something is different than behavior. It's not how you act. It's how you are. And in the natural, nothing changes that. Can the leopard change its spots or the Ethiopian his skin, as it says in Jeremiah? But consider this. Only in the area of gender, so-called identity, queer behavior of all sorts, whether it's sodomy, you name it, it's all, none of it has anything to do with inborn internal characteristics. It has everything and exclusively to do with behavior. It's how they act. Look, you're walking down the street and you say, <clears throat> okay, here come three people. There's a Japanese guy and there's a Hispanic guy and there's a black guy. Can you tell the three apart? Of course you can. Do you need to have them do something do, do they have to behave in a certain way to understand the distinction? If a man and a woman are coming down the street, do they have to behave in a certain way for you to know which one's a man and which one's a woman? If there's a person who's walking and there's next to him a person who's in a wheelchair, do you have to see them, their behavior, in order for you to know <clears throat> which one is disabled and which one isn't? So let's go over to the world of queerdom. you got two guys walking down the street. How do you know which one is straight and which one is light in the loafers? How do you know the distinction? You don't. There is not any obvious way to know the difference until you have a manifestation of certain types of behavior. Now, you don't have to see or witness sodomy in the act, and I don't want to. Make me hurl. But there's behavior that will separate the two. But just walking down the street, one's in a blue suit, one's in a brown suit, whatever, you have no way of making a distinction. So we have made distinctions in an area where there's no distinction to be made, and they have to have it that way because if it's based solely on behavior, which it is, they lose that distinction because behavior is something that can change or be changed just as the word of God has said. Such were some of you. So that from an intellectual standpoint, 
points out why this is a huge and enormous fallacy, and we've just been sold a what is it sold a what is it? I lost the expression here bill of goods on that whole issue, thinking that somehow there's fundamental distinctions. Nobody nobody argues that queerdom is genetic anymore. That is not even part of the debate. Now, I said there are two reasons here why the sin is worse than others. One, we've made a distinction where there is no distinction at all, and and thereby then uh, sort of eliminates the word of God from the discussion. But the second is exclusively spiritually related. Why is it worse? Because no other sin that I have listed is called good, natural, and healthy. Nobody is saying that fornicating is good or idolatry is good or that stealing is good or that lusting for your neighbor's uh, SUV is good nor drunkards is good or revilers or those who commit extortion are good, natural, normal, and healthy. But everything queer is stated to be good, natural, normal, and healthy. Look, no one, call, no one calls murder, stealing, cheating, or lying good and healthy. And I'll prove this. So, look, we don't have the future tax cheaters of America in our schools. But you got the gay lesbian clubs with faculty sponsors. We don't have the Los Angeles or L.A. wife beaters parade. But we have the L.A. gay pride parade. In our churches, we don't have deadbeat dads for Christ. Yep, well, Wednesday night we're going to have the Deadbeat Dads for Christ meeting, so uh, bring your uh, bring your checkbook, which you have not been writing any checks for child support, and we'll just pretend to make child support payments by writing out a check, and then we can void it at the end, and we all feel better for having made child support payments. No, come on. But we have many churches advocating now for that which God calls an abomination. Today, evil is called good and good is called evil. Folks, this cannot continue. It cannot proceed on this front without there being a cataclysmic divide. We've called illegal immigration. We've pointed out that issue. We've pointed out the closing of the universities to uh, conservatism and biblical thought, the Gestapo tactics, we have the rising of the LGBTQRSDUVWXYZ community to a position that it's just produced a veritable juggernaut in all sorts of areas, except on Red Sky Radio. Now, the churches that embrace this, embrace this sin, embrace apostasy, and I'm going to get right down to ultimately the salt has lost its savor in many of our churches. It says in the book of Jude, uh, I'll tell you, if you haven't read the book of Jude lately, or if you've never read it, read it. You say, well, where is Jude? Hey, Jude, where are you? Well, it's right before Revelation. But it says in Jude 4, for certain men have crept in now, we're talking about having crept into the church, into the body of Christ. That's what this reference is about. Certain men have crept in unnoticed, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't that what's happened in this area? All the churches that perform the queer weddings and blah 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 and and what I mean they they've crept in unnoticed they didn't come in with that advocacy on their lapel they didn't come in there with a robe with the uh, rainbow flag on it they crept in unnoticed ungodly men who are now turning the grace that should be afforded in the church into lewdness just like Jude says. Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Isaiah 5, verse 2. So you see what is happening is that in large part, the reason that we are where we are, whether it's border issues, drug issues, 
whether it's uh, racial divide, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's Islam. Look, all of these things cannot coexist. So you have, I mean, let me use as an example. You have the rise of Islam in this country. Unbelievable how fast it's rising. They don't need to attack anymore. So what happens there when it runs into a, with a queer brigade? That's not going to work. What's going to happen when things get so out of hand like, um, gosh, just last week. I mean, I, I honestly, folks, I really could not believe this story. In um, Where was it? I think it was in South Carolina. I'm sorry, I got to get this thing. I think, yes, no, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. Well, there's a, a black a mayoral candidate. And there is a uh, an event that the candidate's speaking at. And the press is allowed. But there's a sign on the church door where this was held that read, quote, I'm looking at it, black press only. And quote, so you could get into this church to cover the Savannah mayoral race involving this one particular candidate from the press only if you were a black journalist. No white journalists were allowed. Now, look, I understand that there are many blacks that listen, that listen to this program. We have a large black audience. Uh, one person said, uh, not to, they said, well, said, look, hey, you tell it like it is. You're one of the few white guys that seems to really do that. <clears throat> because ultimately I know that the brotherhood of man is only established through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can you can take a whole bunch of people who look a lot alike and have share similar characteristics, but strip the Holy Spirit out, and they'll be fighting and killing each other because it's the nature of man. We are born in sin. But you can take people of all stripes, all nationalities, ethnic origins, and races, and you drop in the blood of Jesus, you put the Holy Spirit in that event, and guess what? It starts to look a little bit like heaven right here on earth. I love that fellowship. And I understand that there are probably many blacks who are old enough to remember things that said white something only. I get that. I mean, I had never been involved in that. I grew up in a northern town in a little farm community. It was sort of another world. I didn't experience that growing up. But the answer to, to rectifying it is not to reverse the standard and now exclude whites. And sad, and sad to say, several of the mayoral candidates, other mayoral candidates, <clears throat> didn't have the guts to even comment on the no whites allowed policy. I mean, it just blew me away. They declined to comment. They said, well, I wasn't really there. Uh, another one said, it was not my meeting. Here's one. It was not my meeting. I was just asked to come and give us to, oh, sh- shut up, you little weenie. Are you telling me that you wouldn't have the guts to speak out if it said white press only? You know, and this is what bothers me. This gutlessness to address issues with a with a element of truth that is so absolutely critical. Well, where does this leave us? It leaves us struggling for an answer, doesn't it? It leaves us struggling for um, what we are losing as a national identity to be restored. It's leading to what I have every reason to believe will be the breakup of this country. People say, well, isn't? I mean, this could be turned around. Yes, it can be. And there's an example from Scripture. Nineveh. Nineveh was restored to righteousness for 80 years. But ultimately, Nineveh went back to what it, it did in the beginning and even worse, and God had them wiped out, I think, by the uh, Babylonians, I think it was. It was maybe Nebuchadnezzar that took those guys to the cleaners. So, I, I mean, I see that, sure, it's possible. But this is an ongoing battle of light versus darkness. Satan is not equal to God. Satan and Jesus are not peers. Satan is a fallen angel. Jesus is the son of God. There is no balance in the, in the, uh, in the power department here. 
There is no a lack of numbers. Two-thirds of the angels are good angels. One-third are, are from, the, from the dark side. We do win in the end. But in the meantime, there's this ongoing battle between lightness and dark. Between light and dark. We have this battle that's been going on. The actors change, but the spirits don't. There will come a day you and I are gone. But if you love Jesus Christ and he hasn't returned yet, there will be somebody in our stead. There will be a remnant behind us fighting the very same battles. Maybe worse because this country is going downhill. But I, wanted to, but I want to tell you that not, it's not all a lost cause. And I want to point out something here. And, and you know, I'm not even, I didn't even really get to the greater part of what I wanted to share today. But if you look at the denominations that have just been sucking swamp water, some for decades, and I am thrilled that since 1960, the Episcopal Church has lost 50% of its membership. I'm thrilled because it's not a church fit for the kingdom of God. The Presbyterian Church USA used to be, was 4.4 million members in 1960. Now they're 1.4. I'm thrilled that they're getting trashed. I'm thrilled that there's a hemorrhage out of that church. Now, am I thrilled that the church by itself is going down? Well, no. If we're doing the right thing, I would be sorry. But when it does the wrong thing and it pursues with such vim and vigor all that God calls an abomination, they are wrong on every social issue. They wouldn't recognize a Bible in a Christian bookstore. Those churches, I want to see those suckers collapse and have something rise out of the ashes. Sadly, most of those churches are selling their unused buildings to Muslims. United Church of Christ, another loser, big-time loser, multiple ways, down 60%. Evangelical Lutheran, they were a little late to the debauchery party, but they're, they're doing their best to catch up with their um, <clears throat> ungodly peers. They're only down 41%. The Disciples of Christ, a whopping 80%, and they dare to call it Disciples of Christ. The Sodomites, calling themselves the Disciples of Christ. United Methodist, they are trying to hold on. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure they're going to be able to. They've lost 40%. And the American Baptist is down 25%. And I say that only because people think, well, they're Baptists. You're, you're good to go. No, not the American Baptists. They, they stink. It's a horrible denomination. They, uh, too, uh, are increasingly unable to recognize a Bible in a Christian bookstore. So that is sort of bad news and good news all at once, right? These churches are all tanking. But if you saw what they teach and preach, you'll be thrilled that they're on their way to extinction. Now let's flip over to the other side, because is every church in America dying? No, no, not at all. The Nazarene church. Now, I, I've never been to a Nazarene church. I know Nazarenes. I know generally that they embrace a biblical view of Scripture. Since the 1960s, they have risen 82%. 82%. The Pentecostal Church of God in Cleveland, since 1960, their membership is up 445%. The Assemblies of God from the 1960s, when they had a half a million members, are now at 3.2. They are up 460%. Now, I will say, I've been in some Assemblies of God churches that they're, they're, they're sliding in places a little bit, a little bit. But the last one, and the biggest growth of all of them, is honestly not a denomination I'm that familiar. I have read their basic beliefs. They seem to be pretty solid, and that's the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that I'm well studied on them, but I do know that they're the virtual exact opposite of the Episcopal Presbyterian United Church of Christ, Evangelical Lutheran Disciples of Christ, and American Baptist. 
they are up 576%. So my point is this. As it says in Scripture, as the, as the, as the end times approach, there will be things that it will get darker because of the evil. But the light of those who know the Lord grows. It gets stronger. And maybe it doesn't have to grow much if everything around you is real dark. You don't have to be real bright to shine a great light. But those who are called, those who recognize that they are created for just such a time as this, it's going to be those individuals who are going to be impactful. It may well be that the largest churches in the world are no longer going to be in the United States. And there's even some evidence to that point today that the places where the church is growing the fastest are actually those places where there's the greatest amount of persecution. The growth of Christianity in China, from everything I have read, has been beyond belief. At some point, the Chinese communists and their atheistic world, maybe they just collapse. Maybe there is an outbreak of the Holy Spirit poured out in Vietnam and Thailand and India. There are places in India that are wonderfully and strong Christians, I think up in the northeast part and the southwest states of, of India. You have a strong Christian presence. Now look, the United States has been that city, shining city on a hill, the thousand points of light. But if the light turns to darkness, how great is our darkness? And it may not play out the way we've known it growing up and through the, our adult life that there's generally a, a harmonious and prosperous country. It may not be that way. We may be exceeded by a host of countries that turn toward God as we turn our back against God. But I'm here to tell you that wherever you are, wherever you are, I don't care if you're in, in uh, some area of Nepal where there's religion or Pakistan. I've heard I've gotten reports from people in Pakistan that it's not safe here. But understand that what Jesus spoke about preparing a table in the midst of thine enemies, he wasn't talking about a one-time event. No, God is in the business of causing us to not just survive, but to thrive, to prepare for us a feast of sorts of spiritual growth and fulfillment even in the worst of times. We just haven't known those in the United States. That's why there's so many people that are stuck on the crazy pre-trib rapture because they've never known persecution. They just somehow think that we're entitled to get out of here and we twist and bend the scriptures to try to get out of here early. Well, when you've got hundreds of thousands of people who have only known great tribulation, I'd like to see the size of their crown in heaven. It's going to be bigger than a lot of the pre-trib people here in the United States who think that somehow we should just get out of here. But the fact of the matter is, the testimonies I have heard of people even in the worst of situations that know God's presence and his power and his peace, because ultimately that table in the midst of your enemies is a table of KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR. Live from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. Attorney General William Barr says he'll be taking a closer look at whether top Justice Department officials conspired against the Trump campaign in 2016. In hearings before the Appropriations Committee, Senator Lindsey Graham asked Barr if he agrees that every American should be concerned. As to whether or not a warrant was obtained against an American citizen with uh, unverified information. In this case, Carter Page, at the time, a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign. The, the Fourth Amendment.
Amendment is one of our most cherished uh, civil liberties. So you think that's an appropriate thing to look at, and you will look at it? Yes. Okay. Barr wants to know whether an improperly obtained FISA warrant opened the door to illegal surveillance on the Trump campaign. Bob Agnew, Capitol Hill. A gas explosion that partially collapsed a North Carolina building and set it ablaze Wednesday morning killed one person and injured more than a dozen others. Durham Fire Chief Robert Zoldo says they got a call for a gas leak which led to the explosion this morning. There was a significant fire uh, was started due to the blast and damage to several structures resulted. At this time, the fires have been contained and are under control, but the incident is far from over. A total of 17 people were seen in hospitals, six in critical condition, and one transported to a burn center. Scientists on Wednesday released the first image ever.